Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning, as I said, we have a special guest with us. And why don't you welcome him with me as he comes up to the podium to share the word with us. Good morning. I praise the Lord. It is so glad to be back here. Um, I do bring greetings from my parents, Rick and Jan Cunningham. They were originally scheduled to be here today. Uh, my father underwent surgery about a week ago, and he's still recovering from that. But it worked out that I was free this week. And so Pastor Mike asked if I would come in his place. And I'm glad to represent the Cunningham family today. <laughs> and it is a privilege to be back here. This church has meant so much to our family. You supported my parents for a long time as they've been missionaries in Spain and then Romania. You supported us now for quite a while as we've been in India. And I'd have to check, but I think you even supported my grandparents back in the day when they were serving in South America. And so it's a privilege to be back here at Topeka First among friends and family. And some of you know my parents and you've told me. So it's a joy to be back here. Thank you for letting me come. Now, uh, my name is Richie Cunningham. Yes, that is the name of the guy on Happy Days. No, I was not named for the guy on Happy Days. I'm Richard Cunningham V. We had the name first, all right? That show's been canceled now. So if you think of Richie Cunningham, think of the curly-haired missionary, not the balding redhead. You'll have the right one. All right, now I get to serve in India, and I do go over there with my family. Can we get the PowerPoint up there? I do get to serve in India, and I serve with my family. My family did not come with me, and I'll explain why in just a second. Uh, please do pick up one of our prayer cards so that you can pray for us. We relish your prayers. I can't tell you how much they mean to us. Also, sign up for our newsletter, if you would, and uh, that way we can keep in touch better. Uh, but uh, if you have our prayer card, they're less than a year old, but they're already outdated. And I'll explain that in a sec. There's my family picture. I'm the one with the beard. Uh, the, the one in the back, that one's my wife, Maya. The next one down is Elise. She's our eldest. She turned 13 a couple months ago. Please take one of our cards and pray for us. We have a teenager now. Also, uh, the next daughter is Rebecca. She'll be 11 next month. And then brand new to our family, two months ago yesterday, was uh, Eliana Rose was just born. She was born five weeks premature, so she's really less than a, a month in development right now. And that's why with this cold, I wasn't able to bring my family with me. I had to come alone because we just didn't want to take the baby traveling in this uh, cold weather. But they do send their greetings, and they're, 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 again, we appreciate this, you guys so much. Now, I want to talk to you about India. I get to serve in the great land of India. India is a huge, huge nation. In fact, it is so big, it's really a mistake to think of it as like a normal nation. It's more appropriate to think of it like the European Union, a collection of countries. Here in the States, we have one official language, and Spanish is kind of a sub-official language. In India, we have 16 official languages because we have so many different people groups and so many different cultures that all come into this one country. I'm dressed in what is called a kurta. It's very formal wear in South India. But there are parts of India you would never wear this because the culture is so different that this doesn't make sense to them. And so it's a very diverse country. It's hard to talk about India because of that. No matter what you say, it's true. It can be complete opposites, and yet they're, com they're still both completely true because of the incredible diversity we have. 
So in order to help me talk, I, I wanted to bring the Indian flag with me as just a stepping stone. My, unfortunately, my flag's a little old, so I brought you pieces of the Indian flag today to talk with. So now this is the top stripe here. Uh, it's orange, but because it's a flag, they give it a fancy name. They call it saffron. And the reason they did saffron is saffron is one of the favorite spices in India. And if you know anything about India, you probably know they eat spicy food in India, right? Well, that's true. That's no exaggeration. There is nothing here in the States that compares to the spice levels I'm used to eating in India. And that's one of the gifts that God gave me is I actually have a tongue that can handle that spice. And so I appreciate that God gave it to me. Now, the meaning of the color saffron in the flag is it means courage and sacrifice. And I like to joke that they said it's courage because it takes courage to eat the food in India. But that's not really the reason. There is a need for courage to serve as a missionary in India. Right now, the government of India is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that there have been times where I have had to flee a city because of persecution that was going to come. I've had to take my family and help other families escape the country last term because of persecution that was hitting in our city at that time. I have friends that have been arrested and held in prison for periods of time because of being ministers of the gospel. We even know people who've been killed and beheaded for being Christians in the country. Now, officially, India is a free of religion. And they officially, on paper, we have freedom. But what's on paper is not the reality. And the government that's there now is passing laws that makes it harder and harder to serve the Lord there. So much so that this last year, Compassion International fully withdrew from India. And Mother Teresa's orphanage lost its license to work about four or five months ago. It's hard to serve in India. It takes courage. But we go there. We go back even with my little children. Why? Because we know that God has called us and because we know that you're praying for us. We know that God will support us and God will protect us because we have the prayers of people here. So please do take one of our cards and pray for our family. Now the next color in the flag is the white color. This one stands for purity and truth. Unfortunately, there's not enough of what I would call the pure truth in India, the truth that is Jesus Christ. Nationwide, there's about 2.3% that are Christian. In the people group we work with, and remember, it's a nation of nations, the smaller nation we work in, it's about half a percent Christian. That means that if you were to take a room with 200 people, maybe one of them would know the Lord. 199 would not. Imagine, you could go your whole life without anyone ever telling you about Jesus' love. And that's why God has called us to go to that land, to share with those people the love that, is, that Jesus Christ has for them. Now, the next color in the flag is the green one. This one stands for faith and fertility. And let me tell you, we got the fertility part down in India. It's about, there's about one in a third billion people living there. One in a third billion people. Do you know how much that is? That's about one-sixth of the world that lives just in India. One-sixth. That is huge. And it's less than, and it's 2.3% Christian in the whole nation. Now, my family and I, we do things a little differently than others. I am in children's ministry. That is what my bachelor's and my master's degree is in. That is what all of my experience is in. I, I'm passionate about it. I love it. I teach it in universities. I teach it in churches. I am passionate about children's ministry. My wife is passionate about church planning. We're kind of backwards for most families. 
My wife goes out with a team of people into villages that have never had a church of any denomination. And they have planted several house churches over the last few years. They start meeting people, praying with people, and slowly it builds into a house church. And we're so excited that even in this hostile environment, these, God is moving. And, and these churches are growing. And one of the churches, even on its own, went out and started a second church. So we know that God is moving and God is touching lives. And that brings me to the last point, the, the symbol, the chakra that goes right in the middle. It's a wheel and it stands for hard work. And there's a slogan that goes with it. It says, there is death in stagnation, but there is life in motion. Think about that. That's true, isn't it? No matter if you're a nation or a country, if you're not moving forward, you're dying. There's a lot of hard work yet to be done. I told you I'm in children's ministry. God has called me to the kids of India. If you take out the percentage that are Christian, it leaves you with 330 million children who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. 330 million kids whose lives and hearts are torn apart like the pieces of this flag. Do you know how big that number is? Let me put it in perspective. The United States is home to 320 million people. There are more boys and girls in India who don't know the Lord Jesus than there are people in this nation. And right now, I am the only Assemblies of God world missionary that is working specifically with the children. That means I have a huge task. I have 330 million people God has called me to. Please pray for us. Pray that God would expand our ministry. Pray that God would send others. Pray that maybe even God would send you to come and join us in reaching the people and the children of India. Because, you know, as hard as it is, I believe in an incredible God. I believe in a God of miracle. I believe that just as I as a man, I can take these broken pieces of the flag and I can make something good and whole and beautiful out of them. In much the same way, I believe God can take the broken pieces of people's hearts. And he can make something good and whole and beautiful. Do you believe that? All right. Well, I've talked to you about India, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. But I do have a message for you today, too. And uh, in my message, I want you to turn to Matthew 19. Go ahead and turn there to Matthew 19. The story I'm going to read to you today comes out of three different Gospels. And I'm actually going to read it out of Mark. But there's a reason I told you to turn to Matthew. Just trust me on that. Stay there. <coughs> In Mark, where this, this passage comes, it says, And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. Well, let's pause a second. Do you guys know what that word rebuke means? It's not a gentle word. It's a strong word. The dictionary says it is a sharp, stern reprimand. It is something that is full of emotion. It's not like when you've, you've told your kids, okay, you can have one cookie after dinner, and they start reaching for a second when you say, no, I said one. That, that's not a rebuke. That's, that's just a, that's a reminder. A rebuke is when the kid has the butter knife and starts reaching towards that electrical socket. You say, no, no, don't do that. That's a rebuke. It's full of emotion. It's full of power. It's not used often in Scripture. And so when you find it, you need to pay attention. The disciples rebuked the children. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. There's another big word. 
Indignant's a powerful word. You know, when we think of indignant, you think of righteous indignation. That, that they, they go together. They are the same word. And when you think of Jesus' righteous indignation, you think of him chasing the people out of the temple. This is the kind of anger we're talking about. When it says he was indignant, it doesn't mean he was mildly annoyed. Jesus was angry. And he said, think about the words. He said, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Now, I'm sure you've heard this story before. You've heard it in Sunday school. You maybe even heard a sermon on it before. I doubt anyone's ever shouted those words to you before, have they? And that's because when we picture this story, we picture it like they show it in the storybooks. In fact, when I did research to find these pictures to put on this PowerPoint, it was hard to find the right ones because they're always set in this beautiful, peaceful setting. It's out in a garden with butterflies flittering around, a rainbow in the background, maybe a dove somewhere near Jesus' head, and everyone's all smiles and happy. That is not how the Bible describes the story. It has words like rebuke. It has words like indignant. Jesus even threatens the salvation of the disciples there. You may not enter heaven if you don't get this right. That's not gentle. That is strong. Jesus doesn't often threaten barring entrance to heaven to people. So what got Jesus so angry? What made him so indignant? Did did he overreact? Why was he so upset? Now, I I don't think... He overreacted. I think to understand Jesus' reaction here, we need to see what happened in the days coming up to it. So this is why I told you to stay in Matthew. Now turn back a page and go to Matthew 18. We're going to see what led up to this story. Matthew 18, verse 1, we find the disciples and Jesus heading up to Capernaum. That's the dot at the top there in the Sea of Galilee. As they're walking, the disciples are having a discussion about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because they just couldn't learn. We're in Matthew 18 already. There's been 17 chapters of teaching, and and they're still arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And as they're getting up there, Jesus asks them, Hey, guys, what were you talking about on the way up here? And they learned a little bit. They know they should be embarrassed by this subject. And how do I know that? Because two of the Gospels where this story is found, no one answers. They just kind of hang their heads and, and, and kick their feet. One of the dis- Gospels, it says, finally, one of the disciples spoke up. And he says, Jesus, um, we were wondering, um, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I can just see it. Jesus' face, he's crestfallen. He, he's, he's beyond belief. Oh, Father, these guys you gave me to work with, will they never, never learn? And I'm not making this up. In the Gospels, it says he sits down to answer the question, okay? It's in the Bible. And in Matthew 18, too, he calls a child over to him. Luke tells us he picks him up, puts him in his arms. And in 18.3, it says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's just turned things around, hasn't he? We're used to thinking kids need to grow up to be more like adults. We're used to thinking of ourselves as the examples for the children. We, we catch ourselves saying, why don't you act your age? Why, why can't you quit being so immature? Quit being so childish. Grow up. Jesus just literally said the opposite. He said, quit being so adultish. Don't act your age. Be childlike. Act kiddish. 
He's just totally turned things around. And people argue about what aspect of childhood that it is Jesus is talking about. Usually people think it's talking about childlike faith. I don't think that's what it is in this passage. That is real. Childlike faith is real. But in this passage, it's something else. How do I know? Look at the next verse, Matthew 18, 4. Whoever humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, you want to be great? you got to be humble. Humble like a child. What does that mean? That means you need to be willing to be taught like a child. You need to be willing to be corrected sometimes like a child. You need to be willing to be under someone's authority like a child. Sometimes you even need to be willing to be disciplined when you do wrong like a child. That's what he's talking about. You want to enter heaven? You need to convert and be like a child. You want to be great? You need to be humble like a child. Kids are an example. Now, as Jesus is teaching this, he realizes he's just opened the door. There's now an opportunity to teach some more about the value that God puts on children, about how our Father and how He sees kids. And so the next few verses, He teaches us some very important things about kids. Matthew 18, 5, it says, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. Friends, you want Jesus in your church? you got to welcome children. It's right there in Scripture. You want Jesus in your midst, and I know you do. You need to love children. You need to welcome them. See, Jesus has just said something, again, major changing. A lot of people come to me. They know I work with children's ministry, and they say, Richie, I believe in children's ministry because I believe kids are the church of tomorrow. And I know people mean well when they say that, but that phrase bothers me. And here's why it bothers me. When you say we believe in kids' ministry because kids are the church of tomorrow, you're saying they only have value because of what they can give in the future. Jesus right here said, you want me in your church, you need to welcome children. He said kids are not just the church of tomorrow, but children are an important part of the church of today. In India, most pastors don't believe kids can be saved. There's a challenge I have. When I got to India, I had to create an argument from Scripture about proving that children not only can, but need to be saved. And I'll show you just one of the many verses I use to argue that in a second. But we need to remember kids are part of our church. Kids are part of the Great Commission. When we do outreaches, don't just think about reaching kids. Involve kids in your outreaches, in your ministries, in your programs. Kids can be missionaries to the schools where no adult can tell about, talk about Jesus right now. Kids can. They can be missionaries to their families, to their neighborhoods, to their friends. And it will only happen when we as the church believe in them. When we stop thinking they have value in the future, but recognize they have value now. When we equip them and send them out. The next verse, Matthew 18, 6, says, uh, <coughs> whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble. Go ahead and go forward two slides, please. Whoever causes one of these little ones, back one, you went, sorry. There we go. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung about his neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Well, that's nice, isn't it? You ever go to Hobby Lobby or, or Mardell or, or Walmart and you buy one of those beautiful 
poster verses. You know what I'm talking about? They have the, the waterfall or the rainbow or the eagle and has a verse on it like, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord or I'll rise on wings like eagles. You ever see this verse on one of those posters? You don't, do you? And why is that? Because this verse makes us uncomfortable, and it should. Jesus doesn't talk about drowning people very often. When he does, usually what we do is we go, oh, I don't like that, and we read the next verse quickly, don't we? But we need to pause and think about what is Jesus saying here? Don't just skip it because it makes you uncomfortable. First of all, it says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me. Kids can believe in Jesus. Kids can have faith. But the next two words are amazing. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble. Some versions say to sin. Jesus just said right there, kids can sin. And Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. And if I'm reading this right, what Jesus just told us is that kids, should they die, are in danger of the flames of hell. Now, I do believe in an age of accountability, but I think it's different for each child. We can't, only God knows when a child is accountable for their sins. But at some point, they are. And you might be saying, Richie, you're you're looking a little more into this than there is really there. Think about it. Why else would Jesus make such a harsh statement? Why would he say, drown him in the depths of the sea, if it wasn't an offense that put souls on the line? Jesus wouldn't say that if it wasn't something of eternal consequence. Then we get to some of my favorite verses in Scripture. Matthew 18, 10. He says, Whoever, or see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Why is that a beautiful verse to me? Let me explain it. When I got to India, I did some research, and and I found a a study, a survey that had been done in partnership between the United Nations and the government of India. Very well done, thorough, thorough study. And they found some scary things. I learned that the nation I had just adopted, that in that nation, about 50% of children are being emotionally abused or or neglected. Just under two-thirds are being physically abused. And 51% are being sexually abused with the number a little higher for boys than it is girls. When I did my training here in the States, they teach you what to do in case you work with the kid that has been in that kind of situation. When it's India, it's most of them. Every time I get in front of a group of kids, my heart breaks Because I know what it represents. I know the pain and the suffering that these children are going through. And there's nothing I can do to help them in their situation right away. I just pray. And I pray that God will bring them spiritual peace through my ministry. I came to the States and, you know, I I, I did another study and I found out it's, it's better here, but not much. It's about one in four women have been sexually abused. That tells me that there are many of you in this room right now who grew up in an environment God never intended. And it breaks my heart. And maybe you, just like the kids in India, were crying in the dark saying, God, where were you? Didn't you care? Didn't you know what I was going through? And that's what makes this verse beautiful. 
the angels of these suffering children have priority access to God. And he knows every time a child is abused, every time a child is belittled or, or mistreated, God knows and cares. I believe he wept with those children. He hurt with those children. And you know what? He did do something. He may not have set you free right away because God gave us free will and we humans do terrible things with that free will. But he did do something. And the next verse tells us what Matthew 18, 11 says, for the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. You've probably heard this verse used in evangelistic messages before, and that is an appropriate use of it, but did you ever realize this verse was about hurting children? Look at it in its context. He's been talking about kids. He's holding a child in his arms. He says, don't, don't, uh, don't do harm to these little ones. Carefully, you do not despise these little ones, for their angels in heaven have continuous access to the Father who is in heaven. And then the next word, for the Son of Man is connected for the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. Children are part of the reason Jesus came to earth. And just to make sure we fully understand that this is what he meant, Jesus gives us a parable in the next couple of verses. Matthew 18, 12, and 13. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains? and go and search for the one that is straying. If it turns out that he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices more over it than the 99 which have not gone astray. You know, we tell this story in children's church and Sunday schools, and did you ever realize this story is actually about kids, though? Oh, Richie, you're, you're a children's minister. You're seeing what you want to see. Now look at the next verse. Matthew 18, 14. So it is not the will of the Father that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus has just rocked the world. He has taught some powerful things about kids, revolutionized the way cultures should look at children. When we go to Matthew 19 now, and, and the disciples have gone on to uh, the southern part of Israel, down to the region of Judea, it doesn't tell us what they talked about this time. And I kind of wonder if maybe that's because they were so busy thinking about everything Jesus had said. He said that you want to enter heaven, you've got to be like a kid. They're an example. You want to be great, you need to be humble like a child. If you want Jesus in your midst, you need to welcome children. Children can believe in him. Children can sin. God knows and cares about the suffering of children. Jesus came for suffering children. And it's not the will of the Father that one of these little ones perish. All this stuff. Then disciples get into the city in, in Judea, and like always happens, the, the, the crowd surrounded Jesus, and the Pharisees came to him to try to, try to trap him by asking him tricky questions about divorce, because that was a hot topic even 2,000 years ago. And he, he answers them in a way that the disciples are uncomfortable with. And in, in the scriptures, we find out that then Jesus and the disciples, they leave the town square, and they go into someone's home, not into a garden, not into a picnic area, they walk into someone's home. And there the disciples continue the discussion, asking Jesus questions about divorce. But the, the, the conversation isn't finished. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, all three places where we find this story says either then or and then to, to indicate that the discussion was, was interrupted. And if you read it, you can feel it's an interrupted conversation. They weren't done. But then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. All three Gospels say that the disciples then rebuked the children. All three. And I love this picture here because that is exactly the face I imagine on Jesus when that happened. What just happened? How did this happen? It was a rebuke. It wasn't just, hey kids, we're having grown up time. Can you come back in a minute? It was, get away from here. The master's too busy for the likes of you. We're having grown up talk. Leave us alone. Don't bother us. It was a rebuke. And then Mark 10, 14 says Jesus was indignant. Indignant means a feeling characterized by or expressing strong displeasure. It's something that you consider unjust or offensive or insulting. It's not a mild annoyance. It is, it is insulted to your heart. It is you see something that is so wrong, you can't stand by and let it happen. You must respond. So I don't believe Jesus said, oh, permit the little children to come to me. He was indignant. He said, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. There's two parts to that command. Permit the children to come. Churches come to me, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. Churches come to me, and they say, hey, we, we permit kids to come. We're, we're fine. We're not going to stop them at the door. We'll let them come. But there's a second part. Do not hinder them. When you put anything between a child and Jesus, you are hindering them, whether that's your agenda, whether that's your church culture, whatever it is. When you are putting something between kids and Jesus, you're hindering them. Now, I'm not saying children's ministry is the most important ministry, but it is no less important than any other ministry. When you have your church business meeting, talk about things that influence kids. When you have budget meetings, talk about things to help reach children. Involve, let, let the kids be a part of the thought process in whatever the church does. Because if you don't, you're hindering them from the gospel. Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now there's an argument in theological circles about what the kingdom of God stands for. Some people say it means uh, it's talking about heaven. And if that's the case, praise God, there's water slides in heaven. And laser tag and merry-go-rounds, because they'll be safe there. And, and, and heaven's going to be great. The other argument is that the kingdom of God represents the church on earth. And if that's the case, then the church was made for children. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Do you understand? Do you notice that that verse is, is familiar? Have we, have we come across something like that before? What was the very first thing Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3? Unless you're converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't think it's an accident that these passages start and end with the exact same thing. I think they're bookends that God allowed to be on these passages. 
as he put the Bible together. He put these there so we would know we're supposed to understand these stories and these teachings together. About three years ago, I got to do an outreach in the city of Bangalore, 12 million people. I was with the church there, and, and we, had a, we were going to do a five-day program. They'd have had about three or 400 kids every year in the past, and they'd done this program. <coughs> so we prayed for 400 kids this, this year. We were so blessed, and we ended up having 600 kids coming each day, 600 children. On the fourth day, the next to last day, I had planned on giving a call to salvation to welcome the children to come to the front and, and ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to be the Lord of their life. I had prayed and I had fasted for this day, believing that God would let 100, maybe even 150 kids respond. We had 10 to 15 altar workers that I had trained on how to pray with these kids. And the time comes, the Spirit is moving, and I stand at the front and I say, Children, if any of you would like to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, please come down to the front so we can pray with you. And friends, I'm not exaggerating. 400 children came forward that morning. It was amazing. It was incredible. I only had 10 altar workers, though, so I had to make a quick decision. I said, guys, we can't pray with them one by one. I need you to take groups of four or five and pray with them. So I gathered my first group of, of four or five kids, and I was about to pray with them when something caught my eye. A little girl about 12 years old starts running down the aisle, tears streaming down her cheeks. She gets to the throng of children, starts shoving her way through, shouting, Pastor, Pastor, pray for me. It reminded me like of the woman with the issue of blood. Normally, nothing could tear me away from these four or five kids. But the Holy Spirit told me I needed to spend time with her. So I did something I've never done before or since. I said to these kids, just a minute, I'll be right back. And I went and I talked to this girl. I said, what do you want me to pray about? She couldn't even talk. She said, just, just pray, Pastor, pray. So I quickly prayed for the Holy Spirit to guide me. And, and I started praying for her. And, and the thought of peace came into my mind. And I started praying for peace in her life, in her heart, in her family. I finished praying with her. I went back to these four or five. And 400 kids came to know Jesus that morning. The next day, the last day of the program, this little girl comes up to me. She's all bashful now. She's written a note on a red piece of paper, folded up. She kind of hands it to me when I take it. She giggles and runs away. And I opened the note. It said something like this, Pastor, thank you for praying for me. My father lost his job a few months ago. He's been drinking ever since. And there has been no peace in our family. Now, she didn't go into detail but I know the statistics in India. I know what that sentence probably means. She said, last night after you prayed was the first day we had peace at home. Thank you. I closed that note, and I, I kept it folded up in my wallet until it disintegrated. But you know, friends, there are still 330 million children in India who don't know that peace. 330 million children who don't know Jesus loves them. These pictures here, these are kids from that same outreach, a boy and a girl. Can we reach our hands towards these kids and let them represent these children of India as we pray together? Lord Jesus, I thank you for calling me to India, this difficult and dark nation, Lord, but thank you for giving me the privilege of serving you there. Lord, I pray for these hurting children, these 330 million lost kids. 
God, I pray that while I'm here in the States, you'll raise up nationals and, and others that will continue to share the message with them that the work we started won't fall. God, I pray that you'll raise up others, maybe even from this congregation, that will feel the call and go to reach these people in India and other parts of the world. God, I pray that you will touch hearts, that you will prick lives today, that we will catch a burden for the children and the families of not just our neighborhood, but around the world. I thank you, Lord, for all you've done through First AG here in, in Topeka. But God, let it not be enough. Let us move forward. Let us continue to see the need and to reach our community through the children and the families. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.